0: You enjoy a vacation, you enjoy time off, you enjoy rest because you're working. But yeah. if it's all you're doing is just nothing and resting, I think it drives the, the average person crazy or it leads to very unhealthy things. Proverbs 13, 4 is, is very insightful. It says, The soul of the lazy man desires but has nothing, but the soul of the diligent will be made rich.
1: That's still my scripture. Oh,
0: that's what I'm going to do, Mark. And I did it. Hey, bro, I just want to kind of chill, man. happening. I don't know what it is about the surfer kind of lingo talk, and maybe I'm going to get in trouble with surfers here today, but that sort of laid back, just kind of chill, bro.
1: Every one of my kids surf. Do they talk like that? Not at all. Our daddy talks like that, the California Jesus.
0: <laughs> that's <right>. an <laughs> important spirit, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Uh, Ray in New Zealand. Well, you were a surfer yes. back in the day. I still am. Uh, oh I surf the web now. That's what I do. A- did you? Did they have that kind of talk?
2: No, I didn't talk like that's almost effeminate Is it thing. a California? It thing? is. It's it's California. Cha bro. Yeah, and it's just laid back. Uh, but we did have our language that we spoke. Um, like totally tubular. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rad. Yeah. That's rad. Not I rad. That I was more like rad. like seventies and that eighties. Um, but no, we did have, have our language to describe surf. And I, this, I'll never forget this. I hope I don't forget it now. But when I drive through uh, Sunset Beach on my way to Huntington Beach, every Saturday I see Keaton, uh, Keaton surfboards. It's yeah. a Kaiten surfboard decal. Little kids stand there right. takes me back to when I was 13 years old I wrote from Christchurch, New Zealand all the way to California to that store and asked if they'd send me a decal And they did
0: wow and it
2: meant so much to me as a 13 year old and I feel like parking my car going in there and saying 60 years ago somebody <laughs> from here sent me a decal and it meant so Wait, much this, to me
0: this is an actual like It's like one surf shop a main like
2: it's the one main surf shop in, in there Yeah, it's the Caton and surfboards and it's very famous but it meant so much to me that people would do that, just yeah. sit it down. to business. Do that. so, totally so, nice. But, yeah, um, that's got nothing to do with today's program, <laughs> yeah. just, I still
0: Well, I, it does.
3: I still use some of those words because I grew up surfing, skateboarding, sporting. So I'll say rad and gnarly. Totally. No, the I, other day, my kid came home and was telling me a story. He ended it with, like, Dad, it was so gnarly. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <I'm>,
0: <laughs> the sins of our
2: fathers. <laughs> Reproduced
0: after unkind." kind. Yeah. But I, I brought that up <clears throat> because today we're going to be talking about the difference between slothfulness and rest. And Ray, you often talk about surfers, and I don't know why I'm picking up surfers today, but- How dare you? There's this sort of, you, when you were a surfer, so you were talking about how surfers try to look as much like seaweed as possible, and just mm. not gay, but, it's like, yay. There's a
2: stereotype. Yeah,
0: but, but slothfulness. Uh, I'm not saying surfers are slothful. I guess just the, but the difference between slothfulness and rest, because as Christians, we are called to rest, there is a rest that, that is appropriate for us, both spiritually and, and physically. But there is also uh, a lot of slothfulness that's prevalent today, and that's not uh, something that should define our character as Christians.
2: Definitely not, and I don't know if it's fear or not, but the sloth, the animal that hangs upside down and moves very slowly makes me laugh. because work in DMV. I think that they work in the DMV. That's the <laughs> that movie. Yeah. It was, it, what was it, a movie that came out? Zootopia was? Yeah, yeah so. uh, it was just so cleverly done because it's <laughs> so true. So <laughs> slow moving. Uh, it was brilliant. But yeah, sloth. Do you um, think the
0: animal was named... After the term or the word, you know, or was was the word coined because of the etymology of the word? I wonder. It? Uh, I,
2: it must be the animal must have been named that because of the meaning of sloth. Yeah. Just it looks like lazy because he doesn't move very fast, yeah. but uh, they just hang around upside down like Australians and New Zealanders. Like Australians,
0: <laughs> <laughs> down under. Yeah. So let, let's explore that guys a little bit. Um, Oscar, what are your thoughts on that? How, how do we know the difference between? I'm going to go take a nap, and I'll come back and take a nap. <laughs> sloth philosophy.
3: Um, I, think, I think there's actually two things that are at play that we have to fight against or, or uh, be careful with. And the first, you've already mentioned, is sloth, slothfulness. Is, uh, and it's, it is a sin to desire so much comfort that you, um, that you become ineffective, for the glory of God, for, for the gospel, uh, that you put a, an unnecessary burden on your own family um, because you're unwilling to to get up and work, whether it's work to provide financially or work to, to keep up the home. Um, but there's another thing, too, out there which I think our culture fights against constantly, which is a, a unnecessary busyness. Yeah. Uh, Kevin D. Young actually wrote a book called Crazy Busy, and, and in it he basically points out that busy has become a new Uh, idolatry for us, a new sense of value or worth. We were talking about this when we weren't podcasting the other day, uh, which is essentially like, if you think about it, back in the day, if you were to ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? The response was normally, I'm doing good, pretty good. But nowadays, when you ask someone, how are you doing? A very common and regular response is, busy, I'm busy. And it makes them sound super important and valuable and worthy, right? Um, And so, yeah, I just think, I think that the Lord guides us, especially when you look at like Psalm 23, the Lord wants to guide us to a place of present day, real rest and renewal in his presence. And he gives us time and space for that. Um, but that can't lead to slothfulness, to just sitting around watching football games. Like that's not what Psalm 23 is
1: talking about. So. And the thing is, they can look exactly the same, right? Rest and slothfulness has the ability to look exactly the same. You can rest from your works, working all day, and then go and watch football. Or you can be slothfulness, have slothfulness, and just go and watch football. They can look exactly the same. Mm. One is actually a reward from working hard, working as unto the Lord. And the other one is just, I hate work, or I don't want to have anything to do with a God-given Commandment from God to work. You know, unless a man works, he's worse than an infidel. Wow. We need to be uh, reminded that work was implemented even before the fall. Yeah, it's a good thing to be fruitful we are and to multiply. To work. It is a good thing. I, I enjoy working. I enjoy working hard. Uh, D.L. Moody, at the end of a long day, would say, "I'm tired. Good night, Lord." Mm-hmm. right? It's. I have nothing else to give. I left it all out on the field. And I think that we as Christians, when we cross the finish line from time on into eternity, we collapse across the finish line. That, that ticket tape, it falls with us as we don't have another step to give because we were fully spent walking in the work which God has prepared beforehand.
3: You actually make a really good point, which is an important thing in the 17th and 18th century that the Reformers fought to redeem, which is a theology of work. Because back then it was like, well, sure, you're working, but you're back then a priest or, you know, you're a pastor, you're in full-time ministry. That's work to the glory of God. I'm over here, you know, making shoes or on an assembly line. How is this good? Um, but the the reformers wanted everybody to recognize that it was a bad marker of the medieval time to separate secular work and spiritual work, because all work can be and should be done to the glory of God. And I love this story that when a, when a shoemaker wrote to Luther, basically saying, hey, I, I'm am a I'm a new believer, how do I work to the glory of God, Luther's response to him wasn't, you know, sell everything you have and go be a pastor or go be a missionary. He said, make shoes, make excellent shoes to the glory of God. That's right. Your work can be glorifying whether you're a teacher, a shoemaker, or a pastor.
1: And Jesus was known as the carpenter, that's not right. just a carpenter amongst many carpenters. He was the go-to yeah. guy. And I think that is that is what we need to be. We need to be the go-to, the best plumber to the glory of God, the best electrician. Whatever you're gonna do, do all to the glory of God. That's right. And so how do you do that? One, work hard. Work to the glory of God. And two,
3: work with excellence. Mm. Do things well. Christians should be known for their excellence, not for cutting corners or settling for less than best. We should be known for our excellence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading a book with one of my sons. Actually, we just finished it. It's called Created for Work. And it's just so good. In the insights it gives to young men of the value and the importance of good work and mark I love what you're saying in in that really rest is the reward of the diligent and if you don't work hard You don't enjoy rest. It's kind of like if you're not hungry You don't enjoy your meal so much because you're not there isn't that you know desire for it and It's kind of like people who a lot of times some people will retire and they'll die like shortly thereafter They'll retire and say what in the world did I do and they'll try to get back in the workforce. Yeah because it's like, you know, you enjoy a vacation, you enjoy time off, you enjoy rest because you're working. But yeah. if it's all you're doing is just nothing and resting, I think it drives the average person crazy or it leads to very unhealthy things. Proverbs 13.4 is, is very insightful. It says, the soul of the lazy man desires but has nothing, but the soul of the diligent will be made rich.
1: That's still my scripture. Oh,
0: that's what I'm going to do, Mark. And I did it. But yeah, the soul of the lazy man desires, but has nothing. Yeah, I mean, and that's what a that's lot of good. lazy people do—they just sit like around. That? That's oh. really good.
1: Yeah. What's the proverb? He puts his hand inside the bowl, and he's like too lazy. To oh yeah. It, you know? yeah, lazy
0: man puts his hands on—he will not so much as bring it back to his mouth, <laughs> right? But that—you know what I'm saying? That's the thing. It's like a, a lazy person, a slothful person. Oh, they want to accomplish things. They want to do this, that, and the other. They want to be this kind of person, but they have nothing <laughs> because they're lazy. They don't do anything about it. They just they have these dreams, but don't. Do it. But the soul of the diligent will be made right?
1: Tomorrow is the devil's word. Wow, I th- that should be a quote for you, Ray, right? Because you like to do everything right now and get it done
0: today. All up, Ray. You're a lazy man. Hurry up.
2: Yes, um, I'm going to change the study, a bit, but I totally agree with what you guys are saying. We did a chicken coop, made a chicken coop recently, and I absolutely love building the chicken coop. Mm-hmm. Certain labors I absolutely abhor. One is gardening. I I got out of gardening probably 30 or 40 years ago. And this is a good little thing if you're a married man. Um, Go to help your wife do gardening and pull out some of her plants as you're helping her. And she'll say, get out. You're never touching the garden ever again, which is what happened to me, which is wonderful. But I do love building things uh, with my hands. Uh, But I'm going to throw something in here. and I'm going to have to qualify it really quick because uh, it sounds weird. I hate sleep. That's terrible. Yes, I knew I would have that reaction. I abhor (laughs) sleep. I think it's a horrible thing, and I laugh him having a good sleep, and I, it's good when I have a good sleep, but we go and our, our life is so precious. Every minute, redeem the time. I want to serve the Lord, and every day I have to go into this one-third of my life into a place of insanity where I don't even get to choose my entertainment. <laughs> Seriously, I don't choose the dreams I have. Is it going to be a horror movie tonight? Is it going to be a sexual <laughs> movie? Is it going to be funny? Is it going to be boring? And I don't even choose. Do you have dreams every night that you remember? Uh, pretty, pretty much. in that mind of I, I think, yeah, pretty much have dreams. Yeah, I do, actually, every night. But they're, they're really dumb dreams I don't even want to tell people about. They <laughs> don't make any sense. So you go, every a third of your lifetime is spent in this time of insanity where you look and sound like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and you wake up in the morning feeling worse than when you went to sleep. You're supposed to feel recovered. You get out of bed with...
3: That's your beating breath
2: your can sleep. kill a houseplant at 12 paces. And so I try and get as less sleep as I can, and I have what's called power naps regularly, where I just snooze off uh, one to two minutes, and it refreshes me so I can get up and... Do you know that
3: they recently So they've always said that like the average human needs seven to eight hours of sleep, but they recently discovered that some people have a genetic marker, which makes it so that they only need three hours.
0: I think yeah. that might be you, Ray.
2: Well, I, I, I've, I've tried to do the seven hour sleep and it just annoys me. Yeah. And I don't think they're right. Well, when, with me, it's not.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, if I can get six, to me, that's like a lot. Yeah, a lot of sleep. Uh, I don't and, know about a lot for me, but that's a perfect amount for yeah, me. Six, if I, and it's rare I could get that much. Honestly, but when I do, it's like—is that rare. because of your apnea? Or? Well, I do have sleep apnea. I, also, my dad—I
1: got that too.
2: Yay! Sleep apnea—it's quite <laughs> so, fun. You're snooze, I tried you're snoozing off, and you just can't breathe. It's oh, quite
0: interesting. I tried the machine; I <laughs> couldn't do it. I tried a mouth thing that. A mouth guard thing that keeps my mouth open so that you know it doesn't. Oh, is it in. like a breathing thing for you? Yeah, it's sleep apnea where you you stop breathing. Yeah, and then and then
3: you
2: and go then into kinda, eternity just, just for a minute and then you come back. Yeah, it's it quite fun.
0: You don't get too good rest. Yeah, and then you know obviously my you guys know my dad lives <coughs> with us and I sleep in his room five nights a week so he gets up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. So how time,
2: old so. is your dad so people know?
0: Uh, we'll cel- He'll celebrate 111. And so he's had a lot of sleep in his life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think. um Bray, but I think that this is the balance, right? Sleep is from the Lord. Sleep is obviously He gives his beloved sleep. Yeah, yes. but it also says in Proverbs 20, 13, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. So there is that, that aspect of the person who abuses sleep, mm-hmm. just like food, right? Food is good and joy, but you can be gluttonous. Um, but yeah. I feel like we can't talk about slothfulness,
3: busyness, work, and sleep without talking about the importance of Sabbath Sunday.
0: Yeah, too, though. That's- so, yeah let's get to that. But, but I wanted to touch on, on this verse too. This is Proverbs uh, 24, uh, beginning of verse 30. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. I've always loved that imagery, you know, walking by the field of a lazy man. And we see it in, in life when you go by some homes and they're just-
1: Covered on weeds. Yeah, yeah, overgrown
0: weeds. And But the same can happen in our spiritual life. Oh, 100%. You know, where there's just that spiritual apathy, that spiritual laziness. And it's, it's tragic, you know, our pastor this Sunday talked about the bema seed of Christ. Second Corinthians five talks about that. There's there's a couple other passages, but that's when we're going to give account to God for for how we lived. It says we make it our aim to we to be well pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give account for what we've done. You know, and it's so important that, to remember that there will be an accounting. Yeah, and and it's not it's not tied into our salvation, of course, that's a free gift of God's grace, but he talked about the manner of our entrance. And there will be forfeiture of reward on that day. There will be an accounting where, where our capacity uh, to shine for God in, in eternity, or maybe to rule and reign, you know, how we'll rule and reign with Christ, or what spiritual rewards that we don't understand will be given, we will forfeit some of those because of unfaithfulness, because of things like spiritual laziness and not you know, being diligent in, in what we're called to do.
2: You know, I don't care about apathy. One thing I think is very interesting is the scripture says, go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider her ways. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? And be yeah. wise. My uh, ant
3: is like the laziest person I know, though.
2: You who? Your ant? Edna? <laughs> <laughs> aunt, aunt? <laughs> oh, dude. Aunt, totally. aunt Ethel? Totally. But yeah, go to the ant, and, and you never see an ant sunbathing. Any ant that's still is usually a dead ant. Dead ant, dead ant. It's just lying. They're dead. Uh, they're always working and laboring. high hole. I hope off to work we go. That's what they, And that's how we should be, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our labor is not in vain and we've got something to labor for. That's why I want to burn for the Lord because we're, we're in a, the, the lifeboats of the Titanic and all around us people are drowning and anyone who wants to save people from drowning has to be diligent, has to be zealous to reach out and not sit back and polish brass or have a snooze. And that's our calling as Christians.
3: I just thought of a phrase: "Burn for the Lord or with the devil." Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, for sure. Um, Cliche. Totally. Yeah. Narnars. I love the illustration that Spurgeon gives. You guys remember he gave that sermon? Which Spurgeon again? I've never heard of him. <laughs> but he gave that, that sermon on candles, and he had you know these he had actual candle props and different things. But he talked about how there's different size. Candles. You have the ten-hour candle, the five, three, two, one-hour candles, and he said, "Look, God."
2: Sorry, Z. Is, is that how they measured time or something in those days? I'm just trying to think was that that part of the culture, candles were a certain size for a certain. Uh, I've never not, heard of that. I'm not sure. That's but, interesting.
0: But you know, like, well, you know how you can buy different size candles even today, and it's kind of yeah. This is a five-hour candle. That's how long it'll Yeah. Who's your candle guy? Uh, <laughs> Mr. Waxonio. You never heard of Mr. Waxonio? <laughs> But but his whole point was, look, God is the one who providentially and sovereignly determines what size candle we are, meaning the 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 scope of our influence. You have your ten hour candle, let's say the the Spurgeons or the Whitfields or you know the the Luther's, just the, the guys that God uses in big ways. Then you have your let's say five hour candle, mega church pastors, you know that, that are. Then you have your two hour candle, your your faithful deacon in the church or and whatever. Then you
2: have your dynamite candle.
0: <laughs> Ray Comfort. <laughs> but the whole point is this, look, don't try to be a different size candle, except the size that God made you in terms of your scope of influence and impact and what he's called you to do. But the point is, burn uninterrupted until the last drop of wax is consumed. That means you don't, you don't ever like snuff out your flame. You keep burning for the Lord, faithfully, diligently doing what he's called you to do. So then in the end, you were used up according to the duration or the scope of influence guys are designed you to be used up for. Hmm. And I think that's, that's really important to, to remember. I love that. Easy's basically trying to call you a snowflake.
1: Yeah. You're like a unique snowflake. Yeah, a special snowflake. A, snow, a burning snowflake.
3: Yes. Exactly.
1: Do, do you think that laziness perhaps is ascribed to those who uh, don't have a high value for what is to come or the purpose of man's existence? I'm trying to figure this out, right, because we've been created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, and we can choose to walk in these works or we can avoid them at all costs. I I like what John Piper said. I I read an article of his yesterday. In fact, the title was, uh, what is the difference between rest and sloth, right? And he said, um, the sluggard is mastered by his bodily aversion to exertion. He's a slave. Therefore his rest is not the sweet reward for doing good, it is the selfish resistance to doing good. The sluggard feels work is a misery to be avoided, and the diligent sees work as a God given, life given privilege. Right? So rest prepares us for what is to come, but for the sloth, he just he hates work at all costs. Hey, Mm -hmm. how come you haven't taken out the trash? It's your day for the dishes, you haven't made your bed yet. Why is your room still in such a mess? What is it that causes people, our kids perhaps even more, to not do so much as what they are told and commanded to do, which is right in the eyes of God? And you honor God when you honor mom and dad for doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> he's he's
3: going to send this to his kids. <laughs> uh, Richard Keyes is a theologian, um, and he often talks about how there's these core idols um, at, at the core of all of our sins. Uh, anything that you, any sin that you commit is ultimately being influenced by this core idol, this thing in which you worship in, instead of worshiping Jesus. And so one of them, he says, is power, like our need for control over situations. That is a core idol in humans. Uh, another one, he would say, is praise, the need to be appreciated, adored, liked. Uh, that is a core idol. And one of the other ones, he says, uh, sex is another one, and another one is comfort the need to be comfortable, Mm. to not be pushed to your end. And so comfort can look like laziness where you don't want to work, but it could also look like hoarding. I'm thinking about like the affluent, wealthy individual who just wants to continue to store up money because he wants a comfortable life. He wants his stuff and his things. He doesn't want to be disrupted. He doesn't want to be Uncomfortable. He wants it a cool sixty-eight all the time with grapes by his
0: side. That that's a form of comfort that's idolatrous.
3: Mm. Sounds
2: right to me. Yeah. Pretty-
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mark. I think really what it is, especially in light of what you asked about with kids, I think it's the path of least resistance. I think it's part and parcel with the sinful nature that it just gravitates towards self. When Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, like we're talking about, where he starts off in that passage there by saying that we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. Later on in the passage, he says, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And so a part of it, too, is that it's a value system. You know, like a lot of times with kids, they don't value the eternal. They're so... Temporally minded, it's the now. It's what can I enjoy? What can I find pleasure in? It's so. I think when when kids become spiritually enlightened to the realities of eternity, and they're calling to honor the Lord and to honor their parents and to and also again, right? Value impacts behavior, as as Paul Tripp often says, which is so so true. Say it again. Value impacts behavior. What we value will impact how we how we act. So if they're valuing. Enjoyment, then they're going. It's going to affect their behavior to do what's enjoyable versus if they value uh, wisdom and being providential and planning for the future and what's best for them, what's best eternally. What what's you know, then that their value system will shift.
2: Do you think um, diet can play a part in laziness? Uh, By that I mean. There are certain foods that can give us energy. One thing I really prize in life is energy. If I lack energy, I just lack motivation. I want to be lazy. If I've got energy, I want to get up and expend it for yeah. the Lord. Um, do you think diet is an important thing, Oscar?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think I actually just realized this a number of years ago. I would feel incredibly tired right around two or three o'clock. And uh, for me personally, I started cu- cutting carbs out of my breakfast. And it was incredible how much more energy I have in the middle of the day. I don't. Can you have give me it.
2: an example of carb food?
3: Uh, bread, yeah. So like by, you know, now in the morning I eat spinach and eggs, where before I'd maybe make myself a breakfast burrito or a sandwich. So just simply, for me personally, everyone's a little different. For me personally, cutting out that bread, that tortilla, for me, made a big difference. So uh, it was a
2: noted difference, you noted it?
3: I know yeah absolutely and to this day I don't eat I don't eat carbs in the morning
1: so carbs are good when put in their proper place just like your bread knife example right it's good if I'm cutting bread but it's not good if I throw it in my neighbor's back so if I'm not gonna be working out I try to avoid the carbs Mm -hmm. if I am gonna be working out because those carbs turn to sugar if you want energy you have to exert energy to get energy that's just the way God has designed our bodies and Mm -hmm. physical exercise does profit a little bit but it does profit so but that's I like important sorry Z. oh well, no you're more important than me go well, <laughs> well I was
0: gonna say though I like how you're thinking Ray. though because that's what the diligent person does right. they examine their lives and they say what can I do to maximize ultimately effectiveness for the Lord mm-hmm. that's why we want energy it's not like I just want to be an energetic person so I could engage in all my frivolous hobbies hobbies I want to be diligent so that I could I could honor the Lord, serve well, the Lord, love people, build the kingdom. And it goes
3: back to treating your body like a temple. That's the whole point is not to to not treat your body as this, you know, this thing in which just brings you pleasure with food and drink and whatnot, but rather look at your life and your body, look at your habits and think to yourself, what is it that's dragging me down? What is it that prevents me from being effective, efficient, diligent? Uh, I would even say like, to to mention diet, there are certain types of foods that will just slow down your thinking. Mm-hmm. And why not why not treat your body like a tr- temple? Why not treat it like a well designed machine that is meant to to intake
0: food and exert energy for the glory of God? Yeah. Okay, so I think we've we've covered laziness really well. Let's talk about rest because. There is the flip side of that. There is the, the other extreme. There is the idolatry of workaholism yeah. where, where someone will not pause and will not rest. And we know that God has designed us to rest. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's talk about that. Mark, the Sabbath principle, not, not like Sabbath keeping yeah. per se, but the Sabbath principle. Touch
1: on that. Well, So Jesus is our rest, right? So man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, that we have been designed within ourselves to rest. Sleep is a very good example, right? We have to shut down at night. I also love the idea that I can't remember most of my dreams. I kind of treat that like my sin, right? As far as the East is from the West, God removes my sin from me, and I can't even remember it. So oftentimes when I can be reminded of my past, I think of the way a dream works. And I go, oh, it's a new day, fresh day, fresh start, regardless of whatever happened inside my dream. And Ecclesiastes says that a a dream will come through much activity. Mm. When we start thinking about a Sabbath rest, well, Jesus is our Sabbath. We all need to get away. We all need to escape. There remains a rest for the children of God. That's what Hebrews says. But our rest is Christ himself. Now, that's not to be confused with the fact, well, then that means I don't need to take a nap. Well, Jesus took a nap in Mark chapter 4. Well, I like to be like Jesus, so I'm going to take naps. (laughs) So we have the idea of uh, our true Sabbath, our true rest. You can go get eight hours of sleep and still not be rested up. Mm. And then again, you could be like Moses where he was awake for 40 days and 40 nights. And as one commentator said, uh, why didn't he rest? Because he was so caught up in the presence of God and communing with God, he probably didn't even think about it. Who knows, right? But the idea is we will only find rest when our soul's at rest in him. So when we run to Jesus to escape everything this world has to offer, we will truly find our rest. It's like in uh, John chapter 4 where Jesus uh, went out of his way to go to the base there of Mount Gerizim and the woman at the well, and the disciple said, hey, give him something to eat. And he says, I have meat to eat you know not of. There comes a place when our eyes are so spiritually minded, our our doings are so heavenly minded, that we just get caught up in the heavenlies, if you would, and the physical things don't really matter as much, right? It's a paradox. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So if I want to receive, well, then just give, because it's, it's a blessing to give. It's a blessing to give out. Tozer said the greatest saints are the greatest receivers. But Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So there becomes a balance in the midst of all of this. That our Sabbath is Christ. He fulfilled the Sabbath. That I'm not going to be judged by not keeping the Sabbath. At the same time that we find our rest in Jesus and we set aside a day as much as possible to rest in him Alone, and to think back about all the things that happened this week and to rest as to what's to come. So, when I leave work, I go and I sit in my car for a few moments and I think back upon all that happened within uh, my workplace. I'm resting, I'm regrouping, I'm setting up the podcast for my drive, I'm getting prepared for what I'm going to be doing at the gym. There's a rest. In Luke uh, 10, 38 to 42, we have Mary and Martha. Martha's busy working and serving, and Mary's sitting. Well, Mary could have served all the same, this, the way Martha did, yet have the same heart and motive as the way she currently did as Mary. And the only way that's going to take place is when you're serving with one eye on God and one eye as to what's happening here. Didn't she portions. sit at the feet of Jesus, Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus yeah. as she received the teaching. Yeah, I think we have exactly. a
3: very, um, as much as there's slothfulness, I think that we also have a very low view uh, theological understanding of rest and Sabbath. As I mentioned earlier, busyness is an idol in our culture. Most most hardworking individuals think to themselves the busier I am, the more important, the more value, the more worth I have. That's how I prove myself as important. I stay busy, I keep my calendar busy, and we are so busy that we're distracted from enjoying God. Very good Um, point. And, uh, and, and that comes to Sabbath Sunday as well. I was joking with you guys just the other day. It's like if somebody, just to give you an idea of how low of a view of, of restoration and renewal, theology of restoration and renewal in the context of Sabbath Sunday is to us. Because mind you, rest, Sabbath Sunday is a part of God's top 10. Like it made the big 10 list, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if someone walks up to you on a Sunday is like, hey, my spouse, I think I caught them cheating on me this morning. You'd stop everything you were doing and you'd pay attention to that, right? Or if they walked up to you and be like, hey, I caught them lying or I caught them stealing, like you'd stop everything. But if someone walks up to you on a Sunday and it's like, hey, my husband, he, uh, I don't know how to say this, but he sent a work email on a Sunday. You'd be like, hmm, sounds like a busy guy, getting ahead of his week. Good for him. We don't value the Sabbath Sunday the way that we value the other two nine commandments, right? And Sunday is meant, here's the thing that's important, Sunday is not an excuse for you to have your me time. Like that's not an excuse for, Sabbath Sunday rest is not the wife goes out and gets her nails done because that's her me time and the guy gets to sit down and watch football. There's a great book, I can't remember the author right now, but the church as a fam- the early church as a family is the name of the book and he gives a great understanding of sabbath sunday in which he says it's more like a thanksgiving feast where you gather together in community for praise and worship you open god's word you spend time together you take communion and the entire day is meant to Experience restoration and renewal at the feet of Jesus in the presence of God, enjoying his creation and enjoying the family in which he's saved you into. And I think for a lot of Americans, Sabbath Sunday means it's more like a movie theater experience where it's like, all right, let's get to church. We're gonna spend two hours there, and then we're gonna get home, kids play your video games, husband watches football, and you know, the missus does whatever the missus is gonna do. And that's their Sabbath Sunday. And it's not restoration. It's not renewal. It's not time with the Lord and with each other.
2: You know, I, I think having three kids and thinking about the irony of Sundays, it, Sunday to me has always been the most distressful day because you wake up, get the kids, we're off to church, get the door, wash this, get this closed, blah, 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 get in yeah. the car, what's the time? We're going to be late. You know, And you shake your fist at some other driver that cuts you off and you find Sitting next to you in church. Yes, but but yeah. So you've got it. You've got to calm down.
0: Yeah, and that's. I think we touched on it on another podcast where we talked about how why it's so important to prepare for for Sundays. Mm -hmm. You know, to lay the clothes out.
2: That's right. You do it the the previous Monday, getting ready for the next.
0: (laughs) But you know what I mean. You lay the clothes out. You you uh, you have the meal kind of in mind. What you're going to do for that. You wake up early. You pace yourself. So that, again, you're, you're enjoying the Lord, uh, which we're called to do, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're celebrating all that he's done. But I think the physical aspect of rest is important as well. Like Mark highlighted, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are those those benefits that come from resting. It's the whole sharpening the axe analogy, right? You can keep chopping and chopping and chopping and say, I got to keep chopping so I don't have time to stop and sharpen the axe. But by you not doing that, you're going to take a lot longer to do it. Whereas if you pause and sharpen the axe, you're going to get ahead. Uh, I remember reading about a study years ago that was done where they had two crews at a factory doing the same work and... They gave one crew one day off, and the other crew worked seven days straight. And the crew that got one day of rest not only ended up producing more in quantity of the product, but higher in quality. And again, that goes to show that rest does something. It refreshes you, it rejuvenates you, it reinvigorates you, and and it's it's really really needed.
2: Did you get that witnessing on the Sabbath?
0: What's that? Would you go out witnessing on a Sabbath? Oh,
3: yeah, absolutely. I on a yeah. Can I circle back to something you said earlier? You were talking about kids and how maybe they want to pursue something that uh, is for their enjoyment rather than to get the work done. Um, I, I, would, I would say that when we truly understand the context of the work that God has set before us, there's where we will find our true sense of joy. Uh, And this goes back to the Westminster Catechism, which basically argues that like the chief end of man, which is a really fancy Christianese way of seeing the purpose of man, the reason why you were created is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When you are glorifying God, you will experience the fullest amount of joy. It reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote, in which he he talks about this. And he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We
0: are far too easily Pleased, mm, So true. Yeah, and that ties in with what I said in terms of value impacting mm. behavior. Sometimes we have to grasp those things of value that propel us to engage in them, and then we recognize, wow, this is where true significance and enjoyment is found. You so know? Well, uh, I think we've covered that, guys. That That was really encouraging. And again, when we talk about Sabbath friends, we're not talking about like the the legalistic keeping of rules and regulations and you can't do this and you can't do that. It's the principle of rest. It's the principle of setting aside a day where you focus on the Lord and worship and uh, taking in his word and truth and and fellowshipping uh, in Christ. So uh, we hope that's encouraged you. Don't go to the extremes of workaholism or slothfulness. Be a faithful Christian who labors diligently for the Lord. Enjoy the rest God has given you. Recognize that it was designed by him and uh, do it in a way that truly glorifies and exalts him. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you, seeing you? You hearing us. (laughs) We look forward to you hearing us. Next time on the Living Waters podcast, make sure to check out livingwaters.com. We're here to inspire and equip you in fulfilling the Great Commission.